0: Swing and a drive. Deep to left center field. Going, going. Goodbye, baseball. This is extra innings.
1: Fastball swing and a miss. Strike three. That's going to retire the side. Seattle Sports goes inside the Mariners with more stories, insights, and analysis than you'll find anywhere. Drilled up the middle. Oh, what a catch by J.P. Crawford. Step in the batter's box in the top of the tent right now.
0: Joining me on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline, he is Anthony DeComo, who covers the Mets for MLB.com and does a tremendous job. How's it going? I, I imagine this Mets season has been full of just tons of storylines considering the great start they've gotten off to.
2: Uh, yeah, it's been going pretty swimmingly for this Mets team. I, you know, it was a good roster that they constructed. They were certainly confident coming into the season that. Um, You know, With Max Scherzer here, with Chris Bassett here, with uh, all these hitters that they brought aboard that they would have a much improved and better season, I don't think anyone really envisioned them getting off to quite as hot a start as they did. First in Major League Baseball to 10 wins, first in MLB to 20 wins, so they're happy with where they're at, but they also recognize that it's a a long season and they still have a long, long way to go.
0: You mentioned uh, some of those off-season additions, Max Scherzer and and Chris Bassett. There were other guys too, Mark Canna, which offseason addition that may not have gotten a ton of press do you think has been one that I think has maybe helped the Mets out in a big way that may not be as as well talked about as say the Max Scherzer signing?
3: Yeah, you know,
2: I, I think it's, it's, it's a hard question to answer because it's New York and they all kind of got <laughs> a lot of hype when they happened, but I think the Chris Bassett acquisition was so important because this is a team that Really lacked rotation depth coming into the year. And if you could point to a, a weakness, uh, a spot where the Mets could, you know, really, uh, fall short of expectations, it was going to be because you had injuries to the rotation and the Mets weren't able to make up from it. Well, lo and behold, Jacob DeGrom gets injured at the end of spring training. And because the Mets had acquired Chris Bassett, they really haven't missed a beat. Uh, he's been excellent. He's been every bit as good, if not frankly, a little better not Max Scherzer has been. He's really been a stabilizing factor for this rotation. So uh, it's allowed the Mets to do what they've done, despite the lack of Jacob deGrom. And, uh, yeah, it wasn't a cheap trade for the Mets. He gave up maybe their top pitching prospect in the deal, but it was an important one.
0: You mentioned Jacob deGrom and the lack of him this season. Any word on if we will see him at any point in 2022?
2: Sure, he he has been throwing. Uh, he recently picked up a baseball and started throwing for the first time. So it's a very good sign for Jacob DeGrom. Now, I think this has been going on with DeGrom for you know most of the last year. So there's certainly a skepticism around him and around all these types of things. And I don't think anyone's going to really believe that he'll be back until he actually is in uniform taking the ball, throwing pitches. But uh, there is certainly a, a hope and an expectation that DeGrom will be back this year, uh, the earliest you're looking at is probably at some point in mid to late June. Uh, I don't think it would surprise anyone at this point. If it's later, if it's July, if it's even the second half of the season, uh, the Mets are going to be careful with this. They're going to try their best to do it right, knowing that, you know, as we said, this has been a good team. They've been a good team without Jacob DeGrom. They also recognize that to get where they ultimately want to go, they're going to need a healthy DeGrom and they're going to need him a lot more in September than they do, than they do right now in um, in May. So they will go slow. They will be careful with the whole thing, and the uh, Mets certainly hope that they can have the ground sooner rather than later. But they'll take later if that's what it comes to.
0: Anthony DiComo of MLB.com dot com joining us here on Extra Innings, and Anthony, uh, let's get into the the Mariners and Mets and the connections that they have over the last couple of years. Because obviously, everybody's going to point to that Jared Kelnick, Robinson Cano, Edwin Diaz trade from a few years ago there have been so many uh branches off of that trade i mean the mariners used justin dunn to go out and acquire eugenio suarez and jesse winker how do mets fans view that trade what four years since it happened obviously robinson cano getting dfa'd this season what what do mets fans view that trade as now
2: They dislike it and they will always dislike it. I I will say the fact that Jared Kalanick hasn't just taken MLB by storm and he's obviously had his struggles at the highest level has softened the blow a little bit for Mets fans as for the fact, as has the fact that after a bad first season with the Mets, Edwin Diaz has, has really been excellent. And this year has looked like, you know, if not the best closer in major league baseball, one of them. So those factors have all contributed to uh, the trade being more well-received now than it was at the time, and certainly than it was midway through 2019 when Kellenic was raking in the minors, Diaz was struggling, uh, Cano wasn't doing much in his first year. Uh, that, at that point, it looked like it could be one of the worst trades in, in franchise history, frankly. Uh, it might not be that. And if Jared Kellenic does ultimately fulfill his potential and becomes a superstar, there's certainly a real concern that the Mets will, will rue that trade for a long, long time to come. But I, I think there's at least some hope, despite the general dislike of the trade in New York, that it might not ultimately be a, be a complete disaster if Kalanick doesn't turn into what everyone thought he would be as a prospect.
0: Anthony, I want to know, you've covered the Mets for, for quite some time, and this is a franchise that craziness just kind of always has followed them around. Uh, of all the stories that I guess have gotten out to the public about this team, what's the, what's the craziest or wackiest one you can remember ever covering?
2: Oh God, (laughs) (laughs) there there have been so many and you're putting me on a spot here a little bit. I, um, you know, it's, I I think just kind of some of the off field stuff and I'm trying to think of a good example off the top of my head, but uh, you know, the Mets have continually underachieved on the field for the past, uh, I don't know, decade and it's 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 that has certainly followed them, but they tend to have a way of exacerbating situations, uh, by their responses to it, by the things that happen next. Uh it never seems to uh, it's kinda like Murphy's Law, right? Whatever the worst can happen does seem to happen for the Mets. So uh, the absolute wackiest, I don't know if I have an answer off the top of my head. I'd have to I'd have to think it through but we have some we we've had some interesting ones over the years and I know myself and the other beat writers, we'll, we'll tend to look at each other and just kind of throw our hands in the air sometimes and say, well, why can't we ever have a normal day around here?
0: <laughs> yeah. Do, do you ever get the, do, does ever a story pop up with the Mets where you're just like, I, I went to journalism school for this, or I went to college for this. <laughs> really? This is what I'm doing.
2: Well, we laugh because you kind of need a a, a medical degree. You need a legal degree. <laughs> you need everything. You know, you don't, you don't even need the, the journalism degree. You just need everything else <laughs> in terms of, covering this team. We've tend to use it all over the years.
0: Anthony, another former or another connection between the Mariners and the Mets is Taiwan Walker, who last season was an all-star in his first season with the Mets. It was sort of an under the radar signing. It was late in the off season heading into the 2021 season when Walker signed. What has he meant to that Mets rotation? I mean, obviously he's dealt with a little bit of injuries this season, but uh, when he's in there, uh, what kind of lift has he given them?
2: Well, they hope he'll mean a lot. I think there's certainly some uncertainty about what Taiwan Walker can bring because as you mentioned, he was an all-star last season. But then after that, in the second half, it was a historically bad second half. And uh, one of the largest gaps in in major league history between first half ERA and second half ERA, he wound up having knee surgery in the off season. He came back. Uh, he hasn't pitched that much this year between that and some, uh, and some arm problems that he's had, but Let's hope he can be a stabilizing force in the rotation. And frankly, he's going to need to pick it up soon. To he's starting today uh, against the nationals in Washington. And he's going to need to perform because at some point Jacob DeGrom will come back in the rotation and somebody's going to have to exit the rotation. And if you had to draw it up right now at this very moment, it might be Taiwan Walker. So, um, certainly some incentive for Walker to improve here and, uh, The Mets do value him and hope that he can be, kind of like what I was talking about Chris Bassett earlier, maybe not Bassett's level of of talent, but a guy who can give you innings every five days and, and really stabilize things.
0: Another big move that the Mets made a year ago was the acquisition of Francisco Lindor from Cleveland. And he got off to such a slow start a year ago, managed to still hit 20 home runs, but this year, off to a similarly slow start. His numbers very similar to what they were a year ago. How do the Mets view that trade and signing? Because they did lock him up for for quite some time. How do they view that a year later?
2: Yeah, I think Francisco Lindor is almost cursed in a way by the contract that he signed because it's not as if he's been bad in his year plus with the Mets, but he has not been the type of superstar that you would point to and say, okay, that guy's, you know, we need to give that guy $341 million. We have to commit to our, ourselves to that guy for the next decade. Plus um, he just hasn't been that type of player. He's been fine. He's been a very good defensive shortstop for the most part for the Mets. He's, he's done a lot of things in terms of face running. He's been a pretty good hitter at times. He's even been a very good hitter, um, but he hasn't been one of the best shortstops in the league. He hasn't come close to that level. He, 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 uh, kind of needs to be an absolute superstar if you're going to justify paying, again, $341 million over 10 seasons for him. So it's those are tough expectations for anyone to fulfill. They're expectations that Lindor himself created when he signed that mega deal, and um, they're expectations that, frankly, it wouldn't be surprising if he falls short of them because they're just monstrous. So uh, even if Lindor is good, over the next four or five years, um, that's going to be a disappointment. They don't want him to be good. They want him to be, again, one of the best players in baseball. We'll see how it pans out. He certainly has the talent. We've seen it with some of those 40 home run seasons in Cleveland, but he has yet to show it at that level consistently in New York.
0: All right, Anthony, I've got one final question for you, and it may be a tough one, maybe the most impossible of of all the questions so far. What was more improbable to you? Felix Hernandez's grand slam off of Johan Santana. Here's Felix Hernandez, first time swinging the bat this year. Here's the windup and the pitch on the way. Swing and a fly ball into deep right field. Chavez going back and this one is gone. Goodbye baseball. Felix Hernandez with an opposite field grand slam home run. Holy
1: smokes, I don't believe it.
0: Or Bartolo Colon's home run.
1: Cologne looking for his first hit of the year. Oh. He
4: drives one. Deep left field. That goes Upton. Back near the wall. It's out of here. Bartolo has done it. The impossible has happened.
3: Uh,
2: definitely Bartolo's home run. I don't even think it's close. Even the best pitchers will, will give up some damage every now and then. But uh, you know, you could have told me I'd cover Bartolo Cologne for 100 years, and sometimes I felt like I did and I never would have, never, ever would have expected it to him to to hit a home run. That was a once-in-a-lifetime baseball, and really now that the DH is here, a, a once-in-a-lifetime baseball event that we will never see again. So that's one of the most improbable things I've ever seen.
0: He is Anthony DeComo, who covers the Mets for MLB.com. You can follow him on Twitter, at Anthony DeComo. Anthony, really appreciate you stopping by, and uh, have a great weekend covering this series. I appreciate it. When we return on Extra Innings, we will take a close listen to what Mike Salk had to say today with Jeff Passan, ESPN Senior Baseball Insider. You do not want to miss this conversation. What does Passan think the Mariners should do with Jared Kelnick? What's wrong with Jesse Winker? How can they right this ship? And does Passan still believe in this Mariners ball club? For the rest of the 2022 season, that's all coming your way next. This is Extra Innings. I'm Curtis Rogers. You're listening to Seattle Sports Station on 710 and the Seattle Sports app.
1: You're listening to Extra Innings inside the Mariners on the home of the Mariners, Seattle Sports Station.
0: Coming up 30 minutes from now, we're going to take a look at some of the biggest headlines in all of baseball as we wrap up each and every edition of Extra Innings. A little bit of pepper including Robinson Cano, apparently on his way back to Major League Baseball after getting DFA'd by the New York Mets. We'll get into that in about 30 minutes from right now. But right now, we're going to take a listen to Jeff Passan, who joined Mike Salk this morning on Seattle Sports Station, who touched on just about everything with the Mariners. George Kirby's debut, what do you do with Jared Kelnick, what do you do with Jesse Winker, and how can this team get out of this funk that they find themselves in?
3: Well, um, we can look at the 19 and 31 Washington Nationals who won the World Series. We can look at the uh, 2021 Atlanta Braves who were under 500, still I believe in August, um, and and who at the All Star break right beforehand lost their best player and and still went out and won a World Series. So I, I have I have a little more tolerance now than I did in past years. I think for teams that get off to bad starts being cooked, right? Um, I don't think the Mariners are cooked. I still, uh, you know, considering uh, the wet blanket hood that was bestowed upon me once upon a time, um, I, I think my belief in the Mariners, which remains, despite all of this, um, is going to be steadfast for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, there com- there comes a point, Mike, at which all of the other teams in the American League make any sort of a recovery from, you know, this this disappointment mood. But let's let's also remember the, the Mariners are 4 games away from being a 500 team. Yep. And and if we if we if we look at the grand scheme of playoff caliber teams right now, um the Yankees are a playoff team. Um Anyone else in the American League, you sit here and say they're a playoff team unequivocally?
1: Not yet. The Angels are sure making it a compelling case, but other than that, there's no one else.
3: They look, Yeah, the Angels look really good. I I think the playoff caliber teams right now in the American League, uh, you you have faith that the Yankees, the Rays, and the Blue Jays are going to be somewhat in the mix. In the Central, uh, the Twins are off to a good start, and I think the White Sox, especially once they get healthy, are going to take control of that division. It's maybe Cleveland hangs around on the periphery, and then in the West, you've got the Angels, the Astros, and the Mariners, and, and let's remember, uh, we've got six teams going in this year. They're going to be uh, extended playoffs this season, and... There's going to be more opportunity, and and that opportunity, I think, is, is what keeps Seattle and and even Boston, by the way, which is 11 and 20, and and which has the second worst record in the American League. Uh, I I still haven't given up on the Red Sox because I'm I'm looking at talent, and the Red Sox for their flaws have a good bit of talent. Yeah. the Mariners for their troubles still have talent, and I you know. I'm I'm worried a little bit about Jesse Winter, and, and that, if, if he's not the guy, if he's not even half the guy the Mariners thought that they were getting, then that's a real problem because he was supposed to be a, a linchpin of that lineup. But if you look, Mike, over the last two weeks, who has the best Seattle Mariners everyday player been?
1: Uh, well, it's Ty France, J.P. Crawford, and Julio Rodriguez.
3: That's the guy it's Julio Rodriguez if we're just looking at words about replacement. Sure. And the fact that the fact that over the last weeks he's hitting three forty. that uh, he has stabilized himself to the point where he looks like he belongs now and frankly is only going to get better. Um, I I think that bodes awfully well. Uh, not having Mitch Haniger's problem. I, I you know, I, I didn't think we would be at the point where Mitch Haniger would be so integral to to this Mariners team that that losing him for a stretch would have the effect it does. But I really think that without him in the lineup, they're suffering. And it's going to be interesting to see when Kyle Lewis comes back. Where where does he fit in, and and how does he change the trajectory of this team?
1: Yeah, and and honestly, I, I think if if I'm Jerry today, you uh, know, today's their off day. I'm probably sending Kelnick down today and not waiting for Kyle Lewis. And it's not because – I mean, Kelnick's been – give the kid credit. His defense has been stellar. His, you know He hasn't taken any of the hitting issues with him anywhere else. When he does get on base, he's running well. He's con- finding ways to contribute to the team. But for his own good, not to punish him for any other reason, but just to get him right, I think I'd send him down to AAA, let him go hit, because by all accounts, the problems he's having are – Mental, in terms of just how 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 much he wants it and how tightly wound he is, rather than physical. And why not let him go down and just get confident again?
3: Well, I I think that presupposes that sending him down would have that causative effect, and and I don't know necessarily that it would. So so let's let's look at it the opposite way. You're Jared Kalmick. You're 22 years old. You've been in the big leagues and you're struggling. But you feel, you have felt for two years now, like you are a big league player. So is the yo yo thing going to have that kind of effect on him at this point? Or if the matters, you just say we believe in the kid's talent, we believe in his ability, and we think that allowing him to remain with the big league team long-term is going to be the thing that's better for him mentally than getting him on this train between Seattle and Tacoma.
1: Uh, I guess the reason I would say that it's worth it is because it worked last year. Right, I mean, he came up. He yeah, had the god awful May. They sent him back down, and when he came back up, he was a completely different person. Right, and in talking to him in in spring training, he basically explained how awful it was. Like, look, I lost my confidence. You start to doubt who you are as a person, et cetera. And his mom showed up and really kind of got him out of his funk, and he got his confidence back, and he came up and he he ripped it in September. He was fantastic. I guess I'm, trying to, I'm hoping that you could essentially repeat that.
3: Yeah, I mean, that, that would be the goal, right? And if it were that linear, I think the Mariners, mm. frankly, would have done it already. But there, there is going to come a point, especially if they don't turn things around here, where there need to be consequences. And you look at those consequences, Mike, and Jared Kelnick is probably the guy who makes the most sense to, to be the, the, the scapegoat in terms of just the ability you have to put him down there knowing he's young, knowing he's talented, knowing there, there's still plenty of time with him. Um, I, I also don't necessarily like the idea of blaming a particular person mm-hmm. for a team's issues. And if the, let, let's put it this way. Let's flip the Mariners' record. And I know I'm living in a hypothetical world here, but let's say the Mariners are 18 and 14 as opposed to 14 and 18 right now. Are we having this conversation about Jared Kelnick? Yes. Or is this more a function? Uh, you think you think so?
1: Definitively, yes. Definitively, because it's okay, not sorry. about. I'm not looking at it punitively. I don't think he needs to pay for them being 14 and 18. I, I think he needs to go get right. It's about his. You know, there's some of it's long-term development. But I, I want to ask you about a couple other guys. So let me let me move on because the second question I have, and I guess it's related, is when do you? What do you do if you're Jerry? Do you look for outside help? Do you double down on your win now season, or do you wait it out? Like how how do you handle things if you're Jerry?
3: Oh, they are they are definitely at least right now in a wait and see mode. I I, I don't think that record really significantly matters until probably the middle or end of June because that's the point at which you may have dug yourself a hole from which you cannot escape and and you need to be realistic about what your 2022 season looks like. Um, I, I don't think if I'm the Mariners right now I go looking to add because I mean, at this point, what are you going to add? What's the cost going to be? And, and how much is it going to definitively impact the course of your season? Mm. Uh, that said, if an opportunity presents itself, Mike, and you feel like you have a trade that you can win, sure, you go out and do it. And, and maybe that trade is adding. Maybe that trade is subtracting. The, the biggest difficulty to me in being a modern general manager is the push and pull of the present and the future. And I, I don't think the Mariners have lost uh, track of what their future looks like because they were more in on the present this season, right? Like, they they, they still believe that the long term is the most important thing. You just can't ignore the short term. And uh, we're, we're just I, – I think we're still pretty far away from making absolute judgments on – the right buttons to push mm. there's just not enough there's not enough context there right now you you don't know what these other teams are going to look like uh a, a month a month and a half two months down the road to know whether they're as formidable as they look at the moment
1: did uh did you get a chance to see any of george kirby over the weekend i sure did <laughs> what'd you think
3: he's <laughs> really good like <laughs> I was. We were sitting in the, the green room uh, at, at ESPN Studios. They have six TVs in front of us, and I probably spent the majority of my time focused on the Mariners game because I just enjoy watching a guy whose fastball is so consistent. Um, you know, it, it, was like, it, it was 97 almost every time, and it's 97 with command, too. Like, he's moving that thing around the zone. And if you have a fastball that has that kind of velocity and you have the ability to put it in different places, I'm not saying that's all you need to be successful, but that is a foundational element right there for almost all of the best pitchers, best starting pitchers in the major
4: Mm
0: Just a little more than a half hour to go here on Extra Innings. Stick around. Mike Blowers, his weekly conversation with Wyman and Bob. We're going to take a listen to some of that next. I'm Curtis Rogers right here on Extra Innings on Seattle Sports Station and the Seattle Sports app.
1: You're listening to Extra Innings. Inside the Mariners. On the home of the Mariners. Seattle Sports Station.
0: Over the course of a 162-game schedule... Dayoffs are always few and far between. But hey, you get me. I know that may be a little disappointing to some of you because it doesn't mean it's necessarily Mariners baseball, but I do really appreciate you stopping by, making sure that Extra Innings is a part of your evening here on Seattle Sports Station. I'm Curtis Rogers. If you've missed any of our conversations tonight, make sure you're downloading the podcast at seattlesports.com or wherever it is you get your podcast. Hours 1 and 2 will be available for you shortly after tonight's show. But Mike Blowers, Mariners analyst for Root Sports, he always is kind enough to stop by Wyman and Bob in the afternoon. And having played the game for as long as he did, he knows pretty much all the ins and outs of what life is like on the road, when the days off come, how great it is to finally get one of those, especially for this Mariners team that is scuffling. This Mariners team has not had it easy over the last couple of weeks. How much can this day off improve things for this team? And also, what does he make of El Eugenio Suarez's defense at third? How much of a lift Kyle Lewis can give this team if slash when he returns to the Mariners lineup? And what this team just needs to do in order to right things.
5: How does that feel I mean you've gone through it season after season I mean by the end of by game 15 14 are you feeling it are you are you crawling to the finish line just circling that day off on the calendar
6: you definitely are it's a mental break more than anything um, when you're grinding away especially early in the season because things are so volatile you know it's you have guys that are hot you have guys that are really struggling your team is up and down it just kind of depends on the week and you're kind of just now getting into it again. And I think that day off really helps on the mental side of things. But, um, you know, it, it's it's tough the way the schedule is this year especially. They're going to have some doubleheaders coming up too. Uh, the, everything is kind of condensed because they got started late, so it's going to be even more difficult for them. So hopefully they can handle it.
4: What do you think about Kyle Lewis? How hopeful are you, Mike? It seems like they, they really need him. It looked like the outfield was, was crowded, and now all of a sudden it's looking a little sparse. Uh, you You optimistic about Kyle Lewis and his health?
6: I'm optimistic. Um, I think he's probably going to DH for the most part to keep him healthy. Um, I think that getting his bat in the middle of the lineup is certainly going to help this club. We've talked about it. They've struggled to score runs and be consistent offensively. So I think for Kyle at the DH, I think they can manage that situation for him. But more importantly, they're just going to put some pop in the middle of their lineup, which is certainly going to help.
5: Hey, is is in. And... The upside to that, I guess, is that Julio has played a very nice defensive center field. It doesn't feel like last year, with you know, with all due respect to Jared Kelnick, who I think has been killing it defensively in right field, uh, he didn't look comfortable, and, and it was kind of a an adventure in center field form last year. Now it feels like, hey, when Kyle Lewis is ready, that's great, but you feel good about uh, what Julio's done defensively out there as, as well, I would assume.
6: Yeah, I don't think Julio's going anywhere. I, that's where he's at, the young man, 21 years old. He's covers a lot of ground out there. He's made all plays. He seems really comfortable. Um, initially, when the season first started, I think there were some communication things that they had to work out. It seems like they're past that now. But I don't see Julio going anywhere.
4: Hey, George Kirby's debut pretty pretty special. Do you remember uh, anything like that? I mean, you know, for a guy, uh, first time, first outing. Uh, that was uh, that was pretty special.
6: Yeah, it was awesome actually to watch. Um, You never know how these guys are going to react when they go out there for the first time. The thing that struck me after he was probably three innings into it was just how easy he was making it look. He wasn't um, forcing anything. He wasn't overthrowing it all. The ball came out of his hand. I think it's something that we're going to consistently see from him. You never know. Uh, First outings are are kind of tricky when you watch them. Um, But I think that this is a young man that is ready to play at the big league level. Um, and I, and I, thought he, you know, I thought more than anything else, his ability to throw his breaking ball, his slider, when he was behind in counts at times uh, in the middle of the lineup, and he was willing to throw it and they could execute it, uh, was, I thought, awesome to watch. And we know that he can throw upper 90s uh, with some run on his fastball. But his ability to throw his changeup or his, his slider um, when he was behind the count, that's, that's pretty good stuff. That's something that you see from guys that have been in the league for three, four, five years. That's what you expect Marco to do. And he was able to do that his first time out, which was pretty special.
5: You know, with Kirby, I feel like I've got a little bit of guarded optimism only because, I mean, the start was amazing. You love it. But I'm, I'm kind of looking at Brash going, man, I was really excited after that first start, five and a third, one walk, six strikeouts, gave up two runs. And then it just progressively went the wrong direction for him. And I don't know if, if that's the league figuring him out, so to speak. We always hear about that. You know, he's more familiar uh, in realizing guys aren't going to chase, you know, that he's, he's not going to be able to get away with some of the pitches he did in the minors. Do you see a difference in in their approach in game one versus game one when you look at Kirby and Brash that gives you more, I don't know, maybe more confidence he could sustain it?
2: A
6: difference, Bob? Probably not because they were both – their first outings are both pretty special um, and the stuff was there, obviously. The thing that I would lean on as far as Kirby goes is his experience. Um, He's pitched more, I I think, than Matt Brash has. Matt Matt was pretty inexperienced. He hadn't pitched a lot at the big league level, 23 years old, But his experience, the amount of innings he'd put in, just wasn't quite there, where I think George has the innings behind him a lot like Logan Gilbert. So I'm kind of leaning on that, that that his experience is probably going to push him forward as opposed to where Matt Brash is and where he he was after that first outing, which was awesome. the stuff is electric, and it's going to be. And I'll be curious to see how he he works out of the bullpen, but I think he just didn't have the innings and the experience behind him to where George does, and I think I'm going to lean on that where I think it's more sustainable. Uh, for Kirby than it was for Brash, obviously.
4: Hey, Mike, having played third, uh, watching Suarez. uh, I mean, uh, do you think that they're getting a little bit more defensively out of him than they thought? And then just his his offense, Bob and I were talking about yesterday's headed for what looks like around 30 plus uh, home runs, but the strikeouts are up on base percentage is down. What would you just say uh, about him in general, both offensively and defensively right now?
6: Offensively, I think he's going to be streaky. I think you know you can look at his body of work as a player, and I think that you're, you're going to get the strikeouts, and he's going to hit he's going to hit 30 homers. Um, and the strikeouts are going to be there. I, I think to expect something different um, doesn't make a lot of sense just because that's who he is and that's where he's been. So I think he can get hot at times, and he'll probably carry it for a month, and then he's going to have times where he's going to struggle. Um, and I think we've kind of seen both ends of that here in the early going, defensively, he's been a pleasant surprise to me. I-, I talked to Jerry Depoto about him at the end of spring training, just because I hadn't seen a lot of him. He's over in the National League, so I hadn't seen a lot of him. And I watched him throughout the spring, and I was pleasantly surprised with what I was seeing. And Jerry thought that his, um, the analytics and defensive metrics from last year were down, but part of that was because he had to go over and play some shortstop, which he wasn't comfortable doing. And what I've seen so far um, I love his arm, strong arm. He can make all the plays. I watch him charge the ball. I watch him make backhand play. He can do all of those things. And I think as the season goes on, he's going to be really steady over there. Uh, I like him a lot. And I think his footwork is definitely cleaned up. I talked to Perry Hill about him probably about four or five days ago, and some of his issues was throwing because he has a strong arm and his footwork wasn't quite right. So Perry has cleaned that up, and I think if you watch and go through the tape and watch him on his throws across the diamond, it had been very accurate. And I think that'll also be something that he'll be able to maintain now that he has Perry kind of working with him on a daily basis. And then, then when I talked to Gino about it, he loves Perry. And he said he's made a world of difference for him. So I think defensively he's going to be just fine.
5: You know, Mike, I've been looking at, at the numbers for these guys and keeping in mind what you said about 100 at-bats. That's when you start looking at a guy and saying, okay, now we can get a feel for where he is or who he is at the plate. And in <laughs> some cases you're looking at, you know, in the case of obviously Ty Fer- ty france and jp crawford you couldn't be happier i mean the, these two guys are the consistent forces in that lineup each and every night everybody else has been more of a wild card with julio really picking up the pace but what what do we say about like jesse winker i, I you know there were times i looked at it and said man he's squaring the ball up he's hitting it hard he's just got bad luck but here we are he's got 113 at bats under his belt at this point and he's he's got a 311 on base with a 204 average and it's I'm just trying to figure him out, having not seen him last year or really at all before he's, he's come here. What is your what is your takeaway from what you've seen to this point now?
6: So I, I think one of the mistakes that, that people make when they're looking at stuff at this point is the overall. I think for Jesse, for the month of April especially, the first three weeks he hit in such bad luck, it was unbelievable. I think he was the most unlucky person in the big leagues at one point. For the exit velocity and the way he was squaring it up and the lack of hits he was getting. Um, I think lately, the last week and a half, two weeks, he's probably been one of the luckiest guys starting to get his hits. But I don't think you can look at the overall, Bob. I think when you look at this, and, and when I mentioned the 100 ABs, you kind of settle in at that point. Okay, here you are. You're in the season. I'm at 100 at-bats. This is what I've done for my first 100. What have I done well? What am I struggling with? What do I have to do to move forward? And I start to watch the move forward part of it. You mentioned Ty and JP. Julio is a great example of the struggles he had early, some of it not his fault, and where he has gone since then and what he's doing lately is awesome to watch. I think if you look at Jesse and you look at his last, oh, I don't know, uh, 10, 15 games as opposed to his first 20, uh, the uptick is there. And that's kind of what I look like. Are they improving? Are they moving forward? And he's on that trend. I think the next thing for Jesse is for him, to start driving the ball into the gap and out of the ballpark. He's starting to get his hit. So his confidence, I think, is starting to get there for him. He was really frustrated, I'm sure, at the way the season started. But what's he going to do moving forward from this point? You lean on what he's done in his career. I look back at his last 10 games, and you kind of move forward from there. As overall, when you start off and you struggle the way he did as far as getting hits, it's going to take time for your average to get to a point that's going to make everybody happy to look at the overall. Mm -hmm. But what's he doing from this point forward? What's he going to do from the all-star all-star break? Past that, is he going to be a three hundred hitter? I'll take it, um, but I think you have to get to that point
0: first. You can catch Mike Blowers weekly with Wyman and Bob right here on Seattle Sports Station on seven ten. When we return here on Extra Innings, we've got one final segment for you. Some pepper looking at all the biggest headlines in baseball from the last week. I'm Curtis Rogers. You're listening to Extra Innings on Seattle Sports Station at seattlesports.com.
1: You're listening to Extra Innings. Extra Innings inside the Mariners on the home of the Mariners, Seattle Sports Station.
0: Appreciate you stopping by here tonight on Extra Innings. I am Curtis Rogers. This is how we close out every single edition, taking a look at some of the biggest headlines from around Major League Baseball, what I like to call. Pepper. Now, the Mariners earlier today on their off day did make a roster move. Let's take a look at it because it's it's got some wrinkles to it. They reacquired infielder Mike Ford from the San Francisco Giants. Now, if that name sounds familiar, it's because Ford was with the Mariners in spring training this year. In fact, he briefly made an appearance on their active roster. They dealt him to the Giants just 12 days ago for cash considerations. Well, now Ford is back with the Mariners after those 12 days. Now, it got me thinking about a player who was on the Mariners roster multiple times in the 2021 season. You may remember him. Talking about catcher Jacob Nottingham. That's right, Jacob Nottingham. Had four separate stints with the Mariners and the Brewers a year ago. Just bounced around between those two teams. In fact, let's take a look at Nottingham's travels in the 2021 season. So the Mariners claimed Nottingham off waivers from the Brewers April 28th of 2021. Just a couple days later, May 1st, they designated Nottingham for assignment. The very next day, they traded Nottingham back to the Brewers for cash considerations. 11 days later, the Brewers designated Nottingham for assignment. A week after that, the Mariners claimed Nottingham off waivers from the Brewers. June 8th, the Mariners then designate Jacob Nottingham for assignment. The Mariners, because I think they at least have a heart inside of them, then sent Nottingham outright to Tacoma, to Triple A Tacoma. And unfortunately, six days after that, Nottingham placed on the injured list. And he spent the rest of his summer on the injured list until September 19th when they activated him off of that. Now, the many travels of Jacob Nottingham inspired, get this, a new rule in the most recent CBA negotiations, as pointed out by Jason Stark, Hat tip to Luke Arkins, a prospect insider, for sending this along. Here's what Stark has to say. There is a new wrinkle in the labor deal. It's called the Jacob Nottingham rule. It goes like this. If a team has claimed a player once on waivers in that season, it can't claim him again until every other team has passed on him. Nottingham zigzagged from the Mariners and Brewers four times last season. Now, Mike Ford is not eligible for this quite yet. I believe because he has been traded back and forth. He has not gone through the waiver process. So the Mariners have already had him twice on the roster this season. They had him once on their roster a few years ago, if you recall. He was a Rule 5 draft pick of the Mariners. So there is a possibility that we could be seeing Mike Ford Multiple times in a Mariners uniform, maybe not just right now, but even later on this season. I feel bad for the guy; I really do. Although he's racking up the frequent flyer miles, but this man has a family. Let's 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 have this guy plant his flag, make some roots, because that is a lot of travel and just not knowing where he's going to play next. Speaking of somebody who knows where they're going to play next, that's right. We're talking Robinson Cano. Now, he was DFA'd by the New York Mets just a few days ago, ending his tenure with the Metropolitans, who are still on the hook for, I believe, $37 million of a $44 million contract that remains. Look, the Mariners, they could not have timed it better when they got out from underneath Cano's deal, traded him to the Mets. Got back Jared Kelnick and some other pieces. Justin Dunn helped them get A. Eugenio Suarez and Jesse Winker this past spring. I wonder what kind of contribution Cano is going to make with the Padres in 2022. Will it be like Albert Pujols was last year with the Dodgers, a veteran presence? Now, this Padres team has, I think, had issues in the past with Fernando Tatis Jr. and his hustle and, and just him kind of slacking off in ways that a lot of players who are that age don't really get away with, but because they have paid Fernando Tatis Jr. a ton of money, you want to have guys in that locker room that are gonna, you know, hold him accountable. Manny Machado did that a year ago and which is odd because Machado never really a guy that has been known for his hustle either in his career. You bring Robinson Cano along, who Looking at the numbers that he has put up, we know what Cano was like here in Seattle, obviously. Never one to run out every single ground ball. Never one to really dive and get his uniform dirty. I wonder how that is going to go over in the San Diego locker room, especially Bob Melvin, their manager, who is a little bit of an old school type. But I will say this. I am very intrigued by the possibility of Robinson Cano playing a game at T-Mobile Park this summer. It would be in the late summer. It would be in the month of September. But Cano will potentially be with San Diego in the month of September when they visit the Mariners. It would be the first time Cano has played against the Mariners since being traded a few seasons ago. I wonder what the reception for Cano is going to be in Seattle when he does return. Because when he was healthy and in the lineup, he produced. He absolutely produced. Hit a career-high 39 home runs at one point. Had the batting average over 300 a few times. Got some MVP votes. Was all-star game MVP. This was a guy that produced when he was in the lineup and could hit better than very few other Mariners in franchise history. With that being said, we all know how it ended here in Seattle in that 2018 season. He gets hurt, which is well outside of his control. But what is inside of his control was him taking whatever it was that caused him to fail a PED test. And he had to sit out 80 games, and that year he would not have been eligible for the postseason had the Mariners not made it, letting his team down, letting his teammates down. Which I think soured him here in town with a lot of people. But I will say that he was one of the most productive Mariners ever on the field. Does that warrant a standing ovation? I don't think so. But does it warrant a shower of boos that I'm almost certain that will happen at T-Mobile Park? I don't know. Text in to the Mac and Jack's text line 206-421-3776 if you would boo Robinson Cano at T-Mobile Park. I don't know. The dude was incredibly productive here. Yeah, he was suspended for PED usage. To end his essentially end his Mariner's career. I don't know. It just seems like both parties have moved on so long ago that if you want a Bucano, you can, but I don't know if it's warranted in this situation. Let's take a look at some of the milestones. One kind of interesting another one dubious. Christian Yelich. Who, by the way, man, if Christian Yelich can get back to what he was a few years ago, this is supposed to be one of the best players in baseball, but he has just not ever gotten back to the level that he was back in 2019-2018 when he was an MVP candidate every year when he was basically 1B to Mike Trout's 1A in the game. But it was good to see Yelich the other day hit for his third career cycle, which tied a major league record for most times hitting for a cycle, joining most recently Trey Turner, who had done all three in a Nationals uniform. He's now with the Dodgers, and then former Mariner Adrian Beltre, another guy who has done it most recently. Interesting ones Interesting thing to note about Beltre's three cycles and Yelich's three cycles. So with Yelich, all three have come against the Cincinnati Reds. Very bizarre. The Reds have not hit for a cycle in Christian Yelich's lifetime. Over 30 years since they have last had someone hit for the cycle. Now for Adrian Beltre, all three of his cycles have come in the same stadium. He he hit for one once with the Mariners in the ballpark in Arlington, and then he did it twice in a Rangers uniform in the ballpark in Arlington. A lot of fun facts I just spit at you. Hopefully you're able to digest all that. And then finally, the Pirates, in their 28th game of the season, finally got their first win by a starting pitcher, Jose Quintana, setting a new major league record for longest start to a season without a win by a starting pitcher. Boy. Boy. That, in, that national league central, you got the Cubs, the Pirates, the Reds. Man, if the Cardinals and Brewers don't hold it hold it down for their end of the bargain, that might be considered the worst division in baseball. Really appreciate you joining me here on this extra innings. We've got a couple more weeks to go before we've got another edition of Extra Innings, but I really do appreciate you stopping by. I want to thank Brandon Gustafson of SeattleSports.com. I want to thank Anthony DeComo of MLB.com for joining me. If you missed any of it, download the podcast, SeattleSports.com. I'm Curtis Rogers. Appreciate you tuning in. This is Seattle Sports Station and the Seattle Sports app.